I just want to finish up, and I promise it'll be brief, because because I, I, I just want us, however, to see the, the incredible, encouraging part of this. Last week, we talked about being a spirit-driven church, which is, I believe, what this church is. There were 120 uh, uh, people who were praying in an upper room for about 10 days, and then on Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes down. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. They begin speaking in tongues, which is known languages, because as they spoke, other people heard them in their own language, and they were amazed by that. And by that, Peter was able to stand up and exalt Jesus Christ being filled with the Holy Spirit. And we read in verse 41 of Acts 2 that about 3,000 souls received Jesus as their Savior in that one day. 3,000 souls. So now there's about 3,120 followers of Jesus there making up that first church in Jerusalem. Last week we began looking at this description in verses 42 through 47, just noticing what a spirit-driven church is like. What, what it means and what it looks like. And, and today I want to start with this very quick analogy because this is the whole point of what I want to say today. When we are committed to the right priorities, we will reap powerful results, right? When we're committed to the right priorities, we will reap powerful results. If a farmer goes out and he says, here's what I want to reap. I want to reap a big crop of whatever. What they must be committed to in order for that to happen, they must be committed to the right priorities that will help that. So they've got to be committed to preparing the soil and making sure it's right and the, and the fertilizer. Now, some of you are farmers and you're just going to laugh at me because you're going, Jeff, you don't get it. But I think I'm pretty well right here. You can correct me if I need to be. But, but to get the soil prepared, it's got to be right. It's got to be the right season for, for growing. And then you've got to make sure that as you plant, it's, it's done right. And then you need to make sure the water's on it. You give just the right amount of water, not too little, not too much. And then you make sure that it's weeded. There's no weeds in there that are taking the nourishment from the plants that you're trying to grow. You've got to be committed to these things. And you've got to be committed to watching the, the, the fruit and, and reaping it at the right time. So you've got to be committed to certain priorities if you want to reap a, a, a powerful harvest. I'll, I'll give it to you in terms that uh, I understand and maybe some of us might understand a little bit better. If I say I want to lose weight... But I'm not committed to the right priorities, it'll never happen. So I can say, I want to lose weight as I'm sitting on my couch with a bag of Lay's potato chips, which are the best, and I'm sitting there and I'm watching other guys exercise as they're playing football on TV. Guess what? I'm committed to the wrong priorities and I will never lose weight. But if I become committed to, the, to, to eating healthy, to eating right, and I become committed to exercising and making sure that daily I'm, I'm in motion, I'm doing something, then guess what's going to happen? I'm going to reap the results of those priorities. Why do I say all this? Because I think that's the description we have here in verses 42 through 47. We see a church that's committed to spiritual priorities, and then we see the results of those spiritual priorities. And so we've seen last week, we looked at verse 42, and we said they were, they were a spirit-driven church committed to these spiritual priorities, and they were this. 
the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And we said there was our four things. We said that's God's word. They learned it and they lived it. We said the fellowship is a sharing with one another, is a, is a taking care of one another materialistically, but it's also an emotional and spiritual sharing. We said they broke bread together, which I believe is, is representative of what we've just done here today. We, we remembered our Savior's death until he comes, and that becomes a point of, of exalting Jesus, which leads to worship. So I put it as a term of worship. And then they devoted themselves to prayer. These were the four spiritual priorities that are listed for us that these 3,120 followers of Jesus Christ dedicated themselves. They committed themselves. And oh, by the way, that word devoted is not just a light word. It doesn't mean they took part in these things as long as nothing better came up or as long as they felt like it or if this didn't happen. This was their number one priority. They were committed to it, and there was a, it was a lifelong commitment. It wasn't just, I'll commit to it as long as it meets my needs, and then I'm done with it. This was a devotion, a commitment. So we said last week that a spirit-driven church is committed to spiritual priorities. And we said there's much we could be committed to at Cornerstone, but we want to make sure that these four are what we are very much committed to. So now I want to look, though, at continuing on with this description and noticing the, the, the powerful results of this. And so I would put it to you this way, that a spirit-driven church is not only committed to, to the spiritual priorities, but now we want to see a spirit-driven church is a church of great spiritual impact. Verses 43 through 47 describe what took place. Now, this is a general description. We don't know specific details of what went on, but I want you to see four things, four results of their commitment to these spiritual priorities. And the first is simply this. There was awe and there was wonder. People were amazed. Now, we saw that earlier on in chapter 2. When the, when the apostles were speaking in tongues, it was an amazing thing. People were bewildered. They were, they were blown away by this. They didn't understand it, and they were asking, what does this mean? But what we have in verse 43 is this same kind of description. It says, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Now notice, these are signs and wonders. These are things to prove, which is the word sign. This is a sign that God is on the move here, that God is at work, that what is going on here is something from God that we must pay attention to. So this was done with signs and wonders. And, and next Sunday, Lord willing, we're going to look at chapter 3, and we're going to see one of those wonderful signs, the miracle that took place as Peter healed a lame man. And, and all that happened as a result of that. But these things were going on. And the scripture says there was this awe, this, this wonder thing that was going on. People were amazed. And I think about it in terms of today and I go, where is that in the church? Are people in awe of what goes on at Cornerstone Baptist? Some of you don't know how to answer, huh? I just wondered, I wonder if, if, if people go, wow, 
I, I can't explain what's going on over there, but, but something's happening, and it's, it's kind of perplexing. I don't get it. I, something's going on. See, if we are a Holy Spirit-driven church, things are going to happen that are going to blow us and others away by. We're, we're going to just go, I don't get it. This is awesome. This is amazing. Isn't it Paul who says, Now to him who is able to do only as much as we can do, be glory in the church. And is that what he says? Oh, no, 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 no. That's right. He says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we could ever ask or imagine. Ask or, that's the accurate thing. See, that's a spirit-driven thing. When the Holy Spirit is at work, people are going, I don't get this. What does this mean? What's taking place here? This makes no sense. What's going on? I I think of it in terms this way, and these are maybe you kids can relate to this. When our kids were little, we would drive to Salem, Oregon, which is where both of our, our parents lived, and Every time we were in Salem, we had to make a trip to this one place. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's called Chuck E. Cheese. Oh, oh, you have heard it. I just got the kids' attention. Do you see that? Chuck E. Cheese is one of those places that you walk in and it's like, right? In Salem, I remember walking in and I, you know, I didn't, I played it cool because I'm the dad here. But you walk in, and there's lights, and there's sounds, and there's games. And, and Salem had one room where there was this animatronic uh, band that was there. Chuck E. Cheese would sing for you every once in a while in this you know, animatronic thing. Here I go doing the robot again. But that's what it was. And it was just like this. <gasps> See, when the Holy Spirit is at work in the life of a church, it's like, <gasps> it's a zillion times better than going to Chuck E. Cheese. See, he's able to do far more abundantly than we could ever ask or ever think. And I believe God's doing that. I shared that with you last week, so I'm not going to go into it this week. But I believe God, at least God's got me in that place of awe and wonderment. I can't believe what he's doing. This is so awesome. It's so cool. So I want you to see that commitment to the right priorities brings this result of awe and wonder in the midst of that first congregation. But notice, it goes on. Not only is there awe and wonder, but verse 44 says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Here's the second thing that took place. The needs of one another were met. They took care of one another. As they were letting the Holy Spirit dictate and drive what was going on, guess what? People were taken care of. Now you think of that culture in that context, and and what we understand is there wasn't retirement plans. There wasn't any any, uh, uh, retirement that would be passed off, especially to a widow. And a widow was somebody who really had great need in that day and age. And there were other people who, who just, if they were unhealthy, they, whatever, they were out of any kind of financial gain. And so there was this financial, in a sense, inequality. And even among those who were working, as they became followers of Jesus in a Jewish culture, they were often shunned and could easily lose their job. So you need to understand, to commit to being a follower of Jesus in the first place meant you were probably going to receive some financial hardship as a result. But here's what goes on. 
A spirit-directed church does not let that happen. A spirit-directed church takes care of one another. They share with one another, which is the, na- the, the meaning of fellowship. And I was thinking of this. Again, kids, this is for you, okay? My grandson is almost, what is he, almost 15 months? He's almost 15 months, and he's getting to this point where he's learning how to share. <laughs> and that's really cool, but sometimes you don't want him to share with you. You know, he'll get his slobber all over the piece of, uh, you know, uh, cereal or whatever, and then he'll hold it out to you. And what are you supposed to do? <laughs> You know, he's trying to share with you. And so I eat it. (laughs) I know, I know, it's gross, but he is the cutest baby ever, so it's okay. So he likes to share, and that's what was going on in the church. They were sharing, not slobbery cereal, okay? But they were sharing with one another, and this fellowship was taking place. It's one of those results of giving themselves over to the priority of, of fellowship, so the needs of one another was, were, were, were being met. I remember years ago when the, when the uh, crunch happened, I remember being asked, well, pastor, do you, are, you, are you storing up? You know, are you, you know I, I was talking to somebody who was storing up his weapons and his ammo, and he was getting all of his money out of the bank, and he was burying it or whatever, and, and he's just saying, pastor, are you, are you doing that? What are you going to do to protect yourself? And my first honest-to-goodness thought was, the church is going to come together. The church will come together. Not that we don't prepare for those things, but, but really it's not me and mine in that situation. It ought to be us. And how are we going to provide for the needs of one another in a situation like that? That's what happened here. They shared with one another. The needs of one another were met. But there's another thing that takes place that I think is so cool. And that is that God is glorified. God is glorified in a spirit-driven church. Notice, as you go on, verse 46 says this, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food, and notice this, with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. There is this understanding here that, to, that daily they were gathering in the temple courts, which I believe are the, are the three of the four. They were devoting themselves in the temple courts to the word of God, to worship, and to prayer. They were giving themselves over to these things in the temple courts, which is very interesting because it was the Jewish temple that they were going to, but now they were Messianic Jews who were there, and they were worshiping God. They were worshiping Jesus as the Messiah. They were giving themselves over to what the apostles were teaching them about Jesus, and they were giving themselves over to the prayers. And it was done daily, not just one day a week on Sunday for an hour and 15 minutes, but daily in the temples. But then also the idea is that daily they were splitting up into smaller groups and they were eating in one another's homes. They were having this fellowship with one another and it was more than just eating. It was, it was sharing not only a meal, but sharing hearts and, and, and sharing spiritual growth and all this that takes place in those kind of situations. But in the midst of that, they were praising God. See, because a spirit-driven church knows who to give all the credit to. It's not the church leaders. It wasn't the apostles. They weren't praising the apostles. They were praising God, which means they were lifting his name up. Now, how many of you as kids and how many of you kids do this? Well, my dad's stronger than your dad. You guys say that? Do you say it? You don't say that? I'm sorry, Greg. (laughs) 
But I remember as a kid, my dad, my dad was a police officer, so in my mind that meant he was the strongest, he was the fastest, he had a gun, you know? And my dad was much better than any of my friend's dad. See, that's the way of glorifying right there. That's, that's enhancing my dad's reputation. Well, when we glorify God, it's enhancing his reputation. All of this that we're enjoying is from God. And we are praising God. And what's amazing is this, this statement that all, they, they had favor of all people at this point. Now that's about to quickly change. Because as we'll note next week, a spirit-driven church is not without its own persecution. And that's going to take place. But at this point, the description is that they had favor with all in Jerusalem. This thing was happening. God was being lifted up. He was glorified. His reputation was enhanced. And they were saying, our God has done this. Can you believe it? And people are going, wow. Oh, boy. See, they had favor with all the people as they were giving God the glory. But look at this last verse. And I, this is amazing. They were praising God and having favor with all the people. And notice the last statement. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Day by day, people were coming to saving faith in Jesus Christ. They devoted themselves to these four things. It's interesting. The scripture doesn't say they devoted themselves to evangelism. Now, I'm not saying that's not important. Please don't hear me say that. Evangelism is important. Jesus told his followers to go make disciples. Evangelism is important. But at this description, we just have them devoting themselves to these four things. The teaching, God's word, fellowship, worship, and prayer. And what was happening as a result? God was adding to their numbers day by day those who were coming to know Jesus Christ. This was so different. People wanted to know what was going on. And when they came and asked, they would hear about Jesus and they would too put their faith and trust in Jesus just as the 3,120 had. And, and the Lord was doing it. Again, evidence that they were continuing to give glory to God because it was the Lord. Have you ever heard that definition of evangelism that says this? Evangelism is simply taking the initiative to share Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results to God. All I'm called to do is tell people about Jesus. I'm called to make sure that I do it in such a way that the Holy Spirit is working and moving in me, and then I don't worry whether they come to know Christ as their Savior. That's up to Him. And that's what we have, this description. He was bringing people in Day by day, those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. They were simply taking the initiative, and he was making all the results take place. So what we've seen real quick today is this. A spirit-driven church is a church that really reaps all these, these spiritual things of impact, these things that really impact the life of not only their own church congregation, but the life of that community in which they live. Now, I've got to ask you a real quick, quick question. Of any of these four, is there one that you don't want to see happen? I hope you say no. That was not a trick question. That was honestly a question. Um, because I'm afraid sometimes we actually would say, no, we want all four things to happen, but we don't act like it, do we? Well, I want souls to be saved, right? But we don't act like it. 
because we like it to be us. Anyway, I won't go off on that. But here's the thing. The question now is this. If we desire this to be the result of our committing to spiritual uh, uh, priorities, then what's that look like? What's that mean for us? With this in mind, I want to give you four things. With this statement in mind, see, a spirit-driven church is made up of spirit-filled believers. These believers in this church were spirit-filled. And I say that because of the description in in verse 4. At the beginning, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were spirit-filled believers. Peter promises the same thing to those who would believe in Jesus Christ. And so this church, this spirit-driven church, is made up of spirit-filled believers. So I want to leave you with four things, four ways that you can be spirit-filled. And the first, you're not going to like it. But it's this word, wait. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Chapter 2 of Acts comes as a result of chapter 1. Chapter 1 is where they were told by the Lord Himself to wait. Don't do anything. And then when you're ready to do something, you'll know. You'll know because the power is going to come upon you and then you're going to be my witnesses. But you just wait. So some, maybe in this place, we're trying to do things in our own strength, but we need to stop. We need to wait. We need to seek the Lord. We need to stop trying to do it our own way and we need to wait. But secondly, I would say we need to watch. Watch and see what God is doing. And I go back to what uh, Blackaby says in Experiencing God. He says, watch to see where God is working and then join him in in his work. See, you can't watch and see that unless you first wait on him and ask him, Lord, where are you working? Help me to see it. So wait on him. Watch to see where he's working. And then this is a big one. Yield your life over to him. Yield the control of your life to the Holy Spirit. That means to surrender, to give up doing it my way, to say, you know what? Your way is much better. I'm I'm going out ahead of you here, and I need to surrender my will, my way to yours. Blackaby also says this in a a different book, not from uh, Experiencing God, but uh, in... in, uh, Oh, no, it is Experiencing God. Sorry, I missed the other quote, but I won't go back. He says this in Experience of God. He said, God could accomplish more in six months through a people yielded to him than we could do in 60 years without him. And so that idea of yielding ourselves over, letting him control, watching and waiting, and then yielding that control to him. I give up. I'm not going to try to control this thing. I'm going to wait. I'm going to watch to see what you're doing, and I'm going to surrender myself to your will, your plan. And then the third one then is commit to getting busy. Commit to working. Commit to getting involved. When you see him doing something, don't just sit there. Don't just sit there. If you wait and you watch, and your life is yielded over to Him, then when He is at work, get involved. Do it. Get after it. See, we don't want to run out ahead of Him, but we don't want to be clear over here when He's saying, I want you over here. See, we need to be willing to get after it and do something and and go for it. So here's the point. We want to be a Spirit-driven church here at Cornerstone. We want to be committed to these spiritual priorities of of God's word, of fellowship, of worship, and of prayer. 
And we set aside our 9 a.m. hour for those kind of things. And we're, we're letting the Lord develop that. We've got ideas and thoughts, and we'll continue to keep you uh, communicated with in that. But we want that to be true here. We want to give ourselves over to these priorities. But we also need to be a people who are experiencing the results of those priorities as we are spirit-filled. Okay, so we're asking us to be spirit-filled. So where do you need to have? Where do you need to work? Is it on waiting today? Maybe you're jumping out ahead and you're just going, man, I, I, I want to get this done. I want to do it this way. i got to get it. Like that. That was kind of speaking in tongues, huh? I don't know if that was a known language, so probably not. But nonetheless, we get all worked up. i got to do it this way. And sometimes God is just saying, wait. Maybe you're not watching Maybe you're watching over here and all you're concerned about is your life out here, outside or whatever, and you're not watching to see what God is doing. Maybe today you just need to watch. Or maybe you're waiting and watching, but you haven't yielded. You haven't given control of your life over to Him. And so, so you're still going, I'm going to do it my way. Yeah, I see, yeah, I see, yeah, I see, but I'm going to do it my way. My way's better than yours, God. So we need to yield. Or maybe God has revealed to you in your own heart, here's where I'm working. And maybe what he's asking of you today is will you get after it? If you see me working right here, will you join me in that work? Let's pray.